Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, the thinking everything is a personal slight to Michael Jordan's existence. It's Eric Silver. Eric, how's it going? Mike, for our 50th episode, I actually got you a present. Uh? If you go to your door, you'll see that there are five guys there with definitely not a poisoned pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I love that in The Last Dance... I don't doubt that Michael Jordan got food poisoning from this pizza. I do doubt that it was a sabotage effort by these five men. His personal trainer in the documentary is like, they never send five pizza guys to deliver one pizza. It's like, yes, they do when they know it's Michael fucking Jordan. It doesn't mean that they intentionally food poisoned the pizza. The follow-up question to this is, why did Michael Jordan use his own name at 10 p.m.? To order the pizza. I think what it probably was is they knew where the team was staying and maybe they recognized it or something. But also, why are you getting pizza in Salt Lake City? But also, but also, (laughs) if you think that these people did this maliciously, how do they poison you so specifically that they don't kill you, but they do give you food poisoning? I don't know of a particular agent that it's like, ah, we added this to the pizza and now you got food poisoning. Like, unless they're holding on to moldy ingredients in the kitchen? Right. It's like moldy cheese, but then you don't recognize it? There was a really good tweet from Ian Carmel from uh, All Fantasy Everything, who was like, Michael Jordan is the kind of guy to eat a pizza that has a big poop on it because he wants to be better than Carl Malone. <laughs> it's like, you guys don't want to eat this big poop on the pizza. I'm going to eat the whole thing. So it could have been. It could have been anything. So poop on pizzas aside, we need to get ready to talk about basketball. And in order to do so, we have to get prepared in our favorite room of the house. And that is the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal's doing great. She's alive. <laughs> She's getting really into pickling now. She's pickling Ooh. everything. Speaking of pickling, I did go to H Mart to get a bunch of stuff to make my own kimchi. And yeah. I'm very excited about it. I am incredibly jealous. There is not like a very good Asian or Korean grocery store anywhere near us in Greenpoint. So I'm very jealous. Mm. There's one close. If you need me to get some stuff and drop it off at the studio in the future, I will. We got the bag of the the spice powder that you put into uh, it. And let me tell you, it looks fucking terrifying. Yes, please do that. I would love that. <laughs> it is a giant, giant dark red bag that has chilies all over it. 
It's going to be great. I love that because sometimes I come in and there's just like two new things where you've come in. So we're not in the office at the same time. So now it's just like, all right, here's a standing desk. Here's (laughs) a piece of Potterless fan art. And here's just a big bag of kimchi. I would love that. I was going to ask if you like how I turned a box of t-shirts into a standing desk. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, anything that happened in the Teal Memorial locker room. Uh, So you know who also wants to make anything happen in the Teal Memorial locker room? Our new patrons. Our new patrons. So shout out to Mellow Whale, Anna Borgeli, and a new producer level patron, Og Milk. Is that what Clay Thompson has been drinking? I think that's Greg Ostertag's nickname. (laughs) (laughs) Is Og Milk, because he was a pasty white boy named Greg Ostertag. Mm. You make white chocolate out of Og Milk. (laughs) (laughs) So Ogmilk joins our existing list of producer-level patrons. Brian Wingate, Adam Hartwick, Cody Powell, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burge, I Worked with Eric Sadad, Shooby Dooby Doo, I Am Adam Silver, Godzilla Caprizzi, Wouter Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, So Slam Chops, Steph Curry for three, Siobhan Ellsbury, Kendra Hadley, He Sells... Uh, he Sells... She- uh, yeah, seashells. yeah, Darn Mike, it. it's My hard, reign of it? terror. My reign of terror has ended. Eileen Gazesh and Catherine Lee. All of you have stood up to Michael Jordan, and he respects you because you put in the work. I like that there are two levels of relationship with Michael Jordan. It's despises you or respects you. That sounds about right for the guy that people did not know had feelings for a little bit there. (laughs) With the Steve Kerr episode, it's basically like, I hated that little bitch, and then he made that shot, and now he's cool. (laughs) We're going to talk about it. I have many thoughts to say about that. That was my favorite episode, and I really want to talk about it. It was very good. It was very good. So we'll talk about that in today's That Actually Happened. But before we get to that, we have some people that are making this episode possible. Eric, we have two sponsors this episode. Whoa, that's two more than usual, like in our our real lives. (laughs) Our first sponsor is a new sponsor, Six to Start. Six to Start is the makers of Zombies Run, which is an app that I actually used to use a whole bunch. There you go. So Zombies Run is an app that turns your run into an exciting adventure. Let's say you are in a world right now where you can't go to the gym and the only exercise you can do is running. And hey, running sucks. So you want it to be fun. Zombies Run makes it zombies fun. This was not in the copy. I did this. Please don't fire me. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to hire you and fire you. (laughs) But real talk, Zombies Run is super cool. While you're running, they have an audio story going on and it weaves in and out so you can load up a playlist and then it'll play little clips of a story. You are runner number five, helping to rebuild humanity's last bastion. And it's your job to rescue survivors, collect supplies, and find a cure. It's free to download. There's over 500 missions, and you can unlock a new mission every week for free. So you can do it if you're running outside, if you're running on a treadmill, if you're running in place in your living room. It's an intense story. Sometimes it's scary. There's parts where zombies chase you, so you have to run faster. Otherwise, you get eaten by the zombies, so it's a great motivator. I genuinely really enjoy using this app. Yeah, you got to respect anyone who tries to make running less terrible. Mm -hmm. And the story is so good because it's written by Naomi Alderman, who is an award-winning author of The Power, which was one of Obama's top books of the year. Hell yeah. So go and download Zombies Run now on your iPhone or your Android. All you have to do is search for Zombies Run. And thank you to Six to Start for sponsoring this episode. Our other sponsor, Eric, is the old mainstay brilliant, the people who are trying to get you to realize that math is fun. But what if math is bad? (laughs) It's not, and Brilliant is here to let you know that it's not. 
You can learn about a whole bunch of STEM fields with Brilliant. Now is a great time to develop your brain and learn more things. You can learn about electricity or magnetism or physics. I'm telling you, my dude, it's good stuff. No, see, I like science, but math, <laughs> the numbers, they're not good. Well, they have a whole bunch of science stuff, so that will fit your needs, and they've got math stuff, which fits my needs. You can learn a lot about problem solving with Brilliant and develop that brain. And as a horse listener, you can go to brilliant.org slash horse, and you can sign up for free. And the first 200 people that go to that link will get 20% off an annual premium subscription with Brilliant. So go to brilliant.org slash horse, sign up for free, and if you're one of the first 200 people to click the link, you can get 20% off an annual premium subscription if you realize that you love it and you want to learn more about STEM fields. Mm, that is helpful. My Rube Goldberg that cooks my breakfast in the morning hasn't been working, so maybe I need some more physics lessons. Look, maybe you're Giannis Antetokounmpo and you don't have a basketball hoop in your backyard, but you can learn about angles and physics and stuff from Brilliant, and you're still developing your three-point shot at home, safely. I need someone to come back from the offseason and be like, man, I didn't do any training. I just went to the library, and now I know how shots work. Hell yeah. Brilliant can make it happen. So with that complete, we can now get into our first segment, which we like to call Full Court Press. Get it? Like the news? Now, Mike, is there news? <laughs> I was not aware that there is any news. There, unfortunately, is. <laughs> oh, no. And it involves, according to his Twitter bio, just a tech guy with some game, Spencer Dinwiddie. Oh, God. Spencer Dinwiddie is a guard on the Brooklyn Nets, and he has done some interesting stuff. He's really into Bitcoin and all of that. God and damn it, Earlier Mike. on in the season, we have, I know. We have I lasted know. 50 episodes, <laughs> and we didn't talk about Bitcoin, and here we are. Like, it's fucking 2013. In our inevitable Wikipedia page that will birth, and when they break it into the story of horse, it'll be called the pre-Bitcoin mention era and the post-Bitcoin <laughs> mention era. Yeah, get our wiki fandom up now. <laughs> I need Kunstratin's fan art immediately. Oh, baby, give it to me. He's eating lobster bisque, and he's wearing a butler's outfit. <laughs> With a jersey underneath. But what's that? He's the Brooklyn Knight? Oh, God, no. <laughs> You're just trying to prove that you listen to our own podcast. What's that? He's playing one-on-one -on -one against Godzilla? <laughs> so Spencer Dinwiddie has done some interesting stuff. There was a thing going on last season where... He was trying to find a way with his contract where you could pay a bunch of money and then own a percentage of his contract and then get a return on investment. It really didn't make a whole lot of sense. And this new thing that Spencer Dinwiddie also doesn't make any sense. So it was tweeted out first by Shams Charania says, quote, Nets guard Spencer Dinwiddie says that he will sign a one year deal with the NBA team that fans decide if they reach a Bitcoin target of roughly, and this is, of course, roughly $24,632,630 on a GoFundMe. And Spencer Dinwiddie's official statement with this was, Shoe companies and endorsers influence team decisions all the time. My slash our biggest endorsers will always be the fans. So I want to have some fun with this while we're all under quarantine. I hope no owner slash team personnel participate. So there's no impropriety on this one of a kind endorsement deal. Oh my God. Mike, do you happen to know what Spencer Dinwiddie's contract is? Like, is it? 
because it feels like Spencer Dinwiddie is trying to get fans to like pay him more in Bitcoin than he's actually worth on the market. So he gets like a $25 million quote, 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 sponsorship deal from the fans. And then he's going to sign for like $6 million. So here's the plan. He will get $25 million or roughly $24,632,630 from the fans. And then he'll sign just like a veteran minimum deal with whatever team. And this $25 million is to offset the money that he's losing out on by taking a minimum deal. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie is living in a world where he thinks he's worth $25 million, or at least <laughs> he'll get that plus losing his agency, which kind of makes sense. But here's what's weird about this whole thing. He's currently under contract with the Brooklyn Nets for the next three years. <laughs> so he's going to cancel it and maybe have to pay some of that money back? Oh, this is so stupid. So all of this fundraising that he's doing, which I love that he calls it, quote, a little bit of fun during quarantine. You know what's fun? Giving $25 million to a basketball player. I love it. While everyone is setting up GoFundMes and fundraisers for COVID research, which, of course, you should be donating your own money instead mm -hmm. of getting regular people to fund it, but whatever. Spencer Dinwiddie, on the other hand, he's doing a GoFundMe for himself for a job that he's currently going to go back to pretty soon. Now, he does clarify on the GoFundMe that if he doesn't reach his goal, all of the money will go to charity. So that's kind of cool, I guess. He's also not going to get the 20 No, absolutely million. not! <laughs> he's not going to hit it at all. But what's so strange about this is that he's doing this so that in three years he can do this, but he's basically telling the Nets, hey guys, I might just not return to the team if fans choose I should go somewhere else. He's been soaking up too much grumpiness, as you would say, from Kyrie and Durant. A lot of the tweets said, you spend <laughs> Kyrie's on the team for one season and now you're like this? <laughs> yeah, just getting real into Bitcoin and leaving publicly. So if you go to the actual GoFundMe page, it has been deactivated. He got enough bad flack <laughs> that he took it down. It was called Dinwiddie XBTC XNBA, which is gross. Isn't that the name of uh, Elon Musk's and uh, Grimes' child? Yes, it is. <laughs> and did you see the promotional image that was used? No, I didn't. Oh, boy. Let me just send you the link so you can see. So what's in this photo, Eric? Oh, this is the image that he made? <laughs> This is the official image that he uploaded himself. All right. So there's a, a photo in like incredibly high contrast of him wearing a Brooklyn jersey. And on his left is him wearing a Lakers jersey. And on the right is him wearing a Clippers jersey. And behind him are two mirrored versions of himself wearing unknown question mark jerseys. So do you think uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is trying to tell something to the rest of the NBA? Hey guys, you can send me to teams such as the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers, or other teams. <laughs> A detail that I really appreciate is that in the middle, you have a picture of Spencer Dinwiddie in his actual Brooklyn Nets jersey. And then the Lakers and Clippers ones are obviously photoshopped, but they are two different <laughs> photoshopped images of Spencer Dinwiddie, one where he's looking to the right and one where he's looking up longingly. And then the two behind him, where he's in the question mark jerseys, is the same photo copy pasted. <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're not even mirrored, I realize. It's just no. copy pasted. It's the same photo copy pasted twice. And the question mark is not in the same spot in both of the, the oh, I didn't even notice that. Very good. So he just, I guess, painted over his jersey in black and then in Microsoft Paint 
<laughs> question marks on them. Mike, I super don't want to talk about Bitcoin anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I will say that uh, after a couple hours of it being released, it had raised like $250. And before it got taken down within a day, he only raised $1,150. Amazing. Which not to flex, but when I did a Potterless thing for charity, we raised <laughs> $2,000 in a week. Yeah, for charity. This is for yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie. <laughs> okay, true, 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 true. <laughs> that's the whole problem Today. here, Mike. So that's all we have for Full Court Press. Get it like the news. The NBA is still in a big fluctuation, and who knows what's happening, but I don't think the NBA is coming back this year. It just gets so messy when you try to think about how they would make this happen. You're putting in a Walt Disney in Orlando, and like, I guess, but it's just too many factors like all the players want to play because the cba for next year will get all messed up so it's like it's for selfish reasons and if you got to put your health first like i don't know Mm -hmm. weirdly one of the smartest people to talk about it was charles barkley on the low post he was really profound and intelligent about it saying that it just wouldn't work because once you have players then you have to have hotel staff and then do they also have to be quarantined it's just it never ends with how it has to grow every time you introduce a new person right the people who are doing this are people who make money off of the nba they're not really the best people to put them in but don't worry though the pelicans can go back to practice Yay. My favorite quote from the Charles Barkley episode of The Low Post was Charles Barkley said, look, I'm not an idiot. I know that there's a lot of money being lost, but I'm also not an idiot. I know this is all about money. (laughs) Oh, Charles Barkley. So speaking of Chuck, he played a major role in a documentary series that came out recently, and Eric and I are going to discuss it. Hey, Eric, they made a 10-part documentary series about Michael Jordan and the Bulls called The Last Dance on ESPN. That actually happened. Wow, that actually happened. (laughs) Charles Barkley was probably one of my favorite people that they interviewed because he was the only person out of all of Michael Jordan's, and I will call them enemies, not opponents, but enemies, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who was kind of like, yeah, Michael Jordan was the best and he was kind of a jerk. We just need to deal with it. And I think that there's like a group of three here. It's like Charles Barkley, who was on the Suns, who got destroyed by the Bulls. Isaiah Thomas, who was on the Pistons, who got destroyed by the Bulls. And John Stockton, who was on the Jazz, who got destroyed by the Bulls at the tail end there. Like, all three of them in different ways were very, like, reverent of Michael Jordan. But, like, the tinge that all of them had. Isaiah Thomas, like, everyone knows that they still have giant beef. Mm -hmm. And that Isaiah Thomas got left off of the Dream Team because of it. So, like, he's still trying to, like, put his persona aside and like he's really just trying to go around scandal and john stockton is just like a nice dude so he's He's like so nice he's like wow we just got we got beat (laughs) it was hard we got beat but i feel like charles barkley is the most clear-eyed by it he's like michael jordan is an asshole but he is the best and like if i was gonna lose it's gonna be to him it was it was the closest to anyone saying this guy's an asshole I really appreciated Charles Barkley in this documentary. I think this was a great come up for Charles Barkley because a lot of people don't know how good Charles Barkley was at basketball. They just Mm -hmm. see him as funny guy that can't pronounce names properly on TNT. But Charles Barkley was legitimately very good. He was one of Michael's biggest adversaries that came into the league around the same time and all of that. And the 
Finals between the Suns and the Bulls was closer than people remember, but I also appreciated the Charles Barkley very honestly and openly because he is often ridiculed for never winning a championship. He was like, look, I lost to Michael Jordan. I'm fine with that. I have no shame. I made it to the finals and then I lost to Michael Jordan, the best player of all time. I'm really not sad. And then further on in the low post, he was like, every time my team got eliminated from the playoffs, it was by the team that won the championship. So I am really glad that Charles Barkley is not losing any sleep over his whole career and how it went down. Yeah. So the whole documentary, I really appreciated. I liked the structure of it. I liked that in the earlier section of it, it was kind of like, this is the Michael Jordan episode. This is the Scottie Pippen episode. Yeah. This is the Dennis Rodman episode. This is the Phil Jackson episode. I thought that was a cool establishing of the major characters before you kind of get into it. And I think that the way that they did the timeline was the strongest part of the documentary. I thought it was cool that you had back and forth from focusing on the last season, the last dance, the titular last dance, the 97, 98 season, and then just kind of slowly going from the beginning of Druin's career up until the present, until these two storylines converge. I thought it was a really smart way to lay it out. Yeah, even if I didn't necessarily like it as much as you did, because it was like, oh, I really want to get into some of these stories and really drill down. It's like, oh, let's go back to 71 and learn about (laughs) somebody's brother. Because it happened over 10 parts, it became something I was familiar with. Like, ah, the director's going back in time. So at least it was this really nice structuring of the story, even if I didn't really love it. And also, I, I was really not that compelled held by the final season like all of the other stories until they really got to the playoffs and then we were talking about the flu game and really going up against the jazz i like really wasn't as compelled by some of that so i was just waiting for them to drop the nuggets of the actual video you know because this whole documentary revolved around that video that they got of the last dance so but some of them was pretty light on that actual tape when we got into episode like seven eight nine and ten they really started showing all this stuff especially when dennis rodman went off in a wrestling match and all that stuff and when dennis rodman had to get snuck out of the arena when they were actually playing with the talking heads which Michael Jordan was able to get, and the actual tape of The Last Dance, that's when I was really compelled. Like, I really kind of fell off in, like, five and six when they were just like, oh, the dream team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they did have some really good footage. I think it's easy to forget that so much of the footage came from that last season. They just kind of spursed it in. I really enjoyed watching all of the little clips they had of them practicing and Jordan trash talking and stuff like that. I think the parts I was least interested on when it was Jordan just kind of shooting the shit in the locker room and stuff. It felt Mm -hmm. like there were a lot of clips like that, which I could have done without. But I do think overall the documentary did a good job of making this appealing to not just basketball fans because they did a lot of things of talking about cultural impact and stuff outside of basketball. So I appreciated that, especially as the co-host of Horse. But (laughs) I would have liked a couple different versions of this documentary. This one was very clearly made by Michael Jordan's team because he and his production team was a producer of it. So they're not going to be super negative. The most clear that was, was in the baseball episode where people are talking about him being good. He was fucking trash at baseball. And the fact that the baseball episode was, he was actually okay. He hit over 200. The dude struck out more than he got hits. He was fucking garbage at baseball. 
Now, I wouldn't know anything because I don't <laughs> – I also don't think baseball is worthwhile to, to linger on regardless. But, yeah, it was really weird how they got a lot of people to just be like, yeah, if Michael Jordan kept <laughs> doing this and this was his main sport, you could have been in the MLB. Like, I guess? No. it Maybe if it was – just because he's a specimen of an athlete, kind of like when they say LeBron could have been a great wide receiver. Sure, he could have been because of his physical tools. But Jordan entering minor league baseball at age 31, there's no way it's happening. The age stuff was wild to me. Like, I did not realize how old Michael Jordan was from mm -hmm. baseball going forward. Right. And I remembered that he was not good at baseball. And... And at least that's what my impression of it was. And then the documentary, the people were talking so positively about it that I went and looked and he just really wasn't. He was really not very good at baseball. He, in his one season, got 88 hits and 114 strikeouts. So when you do the worst thing more than a baseline of good thing, that's not great. In double A too, right? Yeah. Like, were in the Barons double A? Yes, they were double A, which yeah. was too high of his skill level. So there were definitely parts of the documentary where you could tell that it was a bunch of BS and at least very skewed to make Jordan look good. There were things that they didn't talk about or ways they did it. Another example is when they did the push-off thing, that the only two people that talked about the push-off were Michael Jordan himself saying, I didn't push-off, and then Bob Costas comparing it to a, a maitre d' walking someone <laughs> to the table, which I did think was a great analogy. But there were just these key moments where you didn't have any, like, anti-Jordan stance taken, mm. and I get that you can't do that because the only way they got this footage was Jordan and his team signing off on it, but it made me want a fuck you Michael Jordan documentary, basically, to offset it. Yeah, like there were some things I really wanted to go into it, and I heard that it's like, I wanted someone to just be like, this guy is an asshole and ruined my dreams, which we didn't really get from anyone, even though like it was supposed to be really candid and the only times someone would see it was when they gave Michael Jordan an iPad. But even with that, when they showed his quote unquote rivals or his enemies, Isaiah Thomas most notably, and then a little bit Gary Payton, rather than just let them have a side where they're going against Michael Jordan, they immediately cut to Michael Jordan watching their interview on the iPad and then laughing at them, which is very good and very funny. But there wasn't really a whole lot of anti-Michael Jordan stuff. So I wouldn't call it necessarily the height of journalism, but sure. it is just an enjoyable retrospective on the Bulls. But I would love maybe later down the road, we get the Laster dance and it's more objective and less Jordan God worship. Yeah, there was a lot of questions being asked and then immediately being shot down. I think that mm. there was stuff about the media that was really important, like uh, right. about Slim Butcher, who was the gambler and like hustler that mm -hmm. Michael Jordan kept competing with. There was a reporter who brought up like, hey, we really needed to dig into this story because it looks strange. And then immediately there was like somebody from the Bulls PR department who was like, fuck you, fuck that. That's not what happened. The media tore Michael Jordan apart. So it's like they set up the question and then it was immediately edited like, no, that's not true. Uh, there was a lot of stuff about the media be like, hey, it was really hard for Michael Jordan to be a person. Also, we didn't hear anything from his wife, and we heard five seconds from his kids. 
in the 10th episode. And I was really wondering, I was like, what was Michael Jordan like as a parent and partner? Like the person who wants to destroy everyone who motivates himself by making up slights. Like, what is that guy like as your dad and husband? And he was flying all all over the globe. Hey, what was it like taking care of his kids while he was in France or doing all of this other stuff and getting in the weight room and never leaving? In Space Jam, we did get the Space Jam stuff and we touched on this a little. Mm -hmm. We had a schedule, right? He was training and then he was filming and then he was uh, on the court for for like four hours. Then he woke up and did it all again. Hey, where was your family during Space Jam, Michael Jordan? (laughs) Yeah, it's hard because the documentary wasn't necessarily just about Michael Jordan and it wasn't necessarily just about the last season and it wasn't necessarily just about the two three-piece from the Bulls. It was kind of about all of them. And because of that, you didn't get to go deep into any of them. You just kind of surface covered all three. I still think it was very good, but it made me want more. In addition to the fuck you Michael Jordan version, I do think the like what you're bringing up, the family man Michael Jordan or just the non-basketball, non- huge personality Michael Jordan would be very interesting. I also just wanted full versions of all the basketball clips. Like the part of the documentary when they're talking about Space Jam and they're talking about all of the scrimmages that they did. Yeah. He would just call in the best players and they would just play and it was super intense and they showed a couple clips of it. I was like, what the fuck? Why is this whole episode not just, here's them scrimmaging for five hours. I would sit down and watch it and not move. I would love if they make some sort of archive release ESPN, Disney's The Vault, whatever, where I can just watch these because I really wanted a just basketball version. I think they did do a good job of making this appealing for people that don't know about basketball, but I would love one that was just like basketball, 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 and nothing else. I know this is very on brand for us, but like I would love an entire documentary just about what it was like running with Michael Jordan doing Space Jam. Like what we got from the production. What year did Space Jam come out? Like 96. Right in 96. 1996 green screen. Michael Jordan just standing there. Like, I'm so incredibly compelled by it. And then you can thread in the fact that, like, he was training and the bubble and all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about, like, who do you think uh, won the documentary? Yes. Like, who came out really good? I think Steve Kerr might have won the documentary. 100%. I was, <laughs> he was my number two pick. Yeah. Because he has some stories that I knew as a basketball fan, but I don't think a lot of people knew. I don't think people knew about his dad getting assassinated, which is bananas. Mm-hmm. I don't think people understood his struggle to be like a relevant member on the Bulls team and how hard that kind of was to be a role player because you were so counted on for your one specific thing. And if you weren't good at it, bye. And then also, his joke that he does at the press conference is an all time basketball moment. It's definitely one of the best things at a championship parade ever, but it's just an all time joke in the world. And I'm so glad that they put that clip in there because it's so funny. Oh, a hundred percent. I also wanted all of the shirts from every single time. Oh God, yes. If they haven't done it already, they should just have a collection on Nike.com or you can just buy all the clothes from The Last Dance because I want everything. A hundred percent. I know that he doesn't think he did a good job in this documentary, but I want to give props to Scottie Pippen. Oh, huge, huge ups for Scottie Pippen. I agree. I learned so much about him. He's such a complex character. He's such like a nice person. And I got that. And the fact that he was running with Michael Jordan this whole time, he's like a very sensitive person. And I got that. I think that the fact that he was reliving those two moments, one, the migraine game where he had to go out and two, the thing with Tony Kukoc 
when the play was drawn up for Tony Kukoc and Scottie Pippen pouted and sat out. Like, seeing those two and the way that he reacted to it, and I think seeing other people watch it was, like, really a lot for him, and he's really embarrassed. I, I read something out from Woj about it, like, this morning. But I learned so much about him, and he just seems like a really good dude. And from him growing up, Amanda and I were watching it the whole time, and she was just like, he looks like someone in American Gothic now. Like, he is just, like, mm. a person from America in Americana, and, like, the fact that all of this happened to him is amazing. Yeah, I think that the documentary, the biggest winner, you're probably right, the biggest winner of it is Scottie Pippen, because I think this documentary showed that it was tough for the situation he was in. He got screwed over multiple times mm -hmm. and not necessarily treated well by a lot of different people. Even Michael Jordan, when they're talking about the migraine game, Michael Jordan, basically, you can tell he thought it was just Scotty being a baby, which sucks. But you also got to see from all the clips that Scotty Pippen was really good at basketball. He was. And I think that a lot of people didn't realize how freaking good he was and how much of the Bulls' success was because he was a perfect fit for Michael. He could do as much on the offense as he needed to be. And some of their biggest strategic things involved, hey, Scotty, guard this guy. Like, they beat the Pistons because he was able to guard a lot of the different people on their team. They beat the Pacers because he just stopped Mark Jackson from doing the Mark Jackson move where he would just back people down. Classic Mark Jackson. And I also appreciated that it seems like Michael Jordan really does value Scotty, and he admits that he couldn't have done it without Scotty. And it seems like they're on good terms, which wasn't always the vibe that I got. So right. from a wholesome perspective, it made me feel good. And I felt really good for Scotty in this. Yeah, I think that Michael Jordan, like he just doesn't have a great capacity for empathy. Mm -mm, so the fact that nope. he said that at all was really nice. But mm -hmm. again, he was just like, yeah, fucking Scotty Pippen, like fuck the, that migraine, which is like, yeah. hey, you've never had a migraine before. Like I get it, Michael Jordan, like, okay. Right. 100%. I also thought that, like Steve, just going back to Steve Kerr for a second, like he was, he was Michael Jordan's heart. Like these two people were his emotional foil so that he could go be an asshole. And I thought mm -hmm. that that was really important and why they shone. Hey, someone who took a, an L in this, uh, I lost a ton of respect for the things that Phil Jackson did as a coach. Oh, really? I thought he was, I thought he was all right. I don't think that they necessarily gave him enough credit for the stuff he did. I think that managing those personalities is a job in itself. And I don't know that they win all those titles without him doing so. I guess what we respect from amazing coaches is the ability to have all that basketball knowledge and managing the personalities. Like, that's why being a coach is so difficult. But I realize now that, like, the triangle was just from that assistant coach who was there the entire time. Like, Phil Jackson managed everyone's personalities really well, but it was in a way that, like... He could pretend to be a hippie in the 90s when, like, no mm -hmm. one was a hippie and, like, no one was, like, mystical and stuff. And, like, oh, Dennis Rodman, you're this Native American bullshit. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you this Native American stuff that I picked up in my life and you're going to be like, oh, nice. That's cool. Like, I don't know. He just – the caricature of who he is as just, like, oh, I'm going to appropriate some, like, Native American mystical shit and, like, just calm everybody down and let Michael Jordan work – I don't know if I believe that he actually did as much as we think he did. So I have an appreciation for this because of reading Jack McCallum's book, Seven Seconds or Less, which is a very good book. It's all about the Phoenix Suns 2006-2007 uh, season or 2005-2006 season. Mm. Uh, and he's just in the coach's room the whole time. And you get a different appreciation for how coaching in the NBA works. And it's a really 
team effort-based things. And assistant coaches don't get a lot of credit. And a big thing that a head coach can do is take risks that are brought to them from the assistant coaches and then go through with it. So I think that you could look at it as, oh, he didn't even come up with the triangle. But I do think that implementing the triangle and basically what Phil Jackson did was he came in and they were in an offense kind of like some modern teams where it's just give the ball to LeBron and let's figure it out kind of thing. And that's what they were doing with uh, Doug Collins. And then Jerry Krause, who was a douche, but was smart, knew that this wasn't going to work. And the fact that Phil Jackson was able to turn that into team basketball is really smart. So I think Phil Jackson using the most of what is around him and being smart enough to say, hey, this old guy's got a good offense idea. I'm going to take that and then also manage all these ridiculous personalities such as Dennis Rodman and Michael Psychopath Jordan on my team. (laughs) Because as we see with current NBA stuff, so much of it is just managing personalities. Look at Kevin Durant. He was on the best team in the world and they could have won a million championships, but he got grumpy because he argued with Draymond a couple times and now he's on a different team. Right. I guess it felt like, and maybe this is also from the pettiness that we know from the Lakers season, especially that book that he, when we were talking about all that Kobe stuff, the book that that he read, and all of like the pettiness of when they brought Phil Jackson in to go over the top of Doug Collins. Also, Doug Collins came out really good. I wanted to play for Doug Collins. What a good dude. He sounded awesome. Guy. He sounded awesome. I guess it. Phil Jackson's best skill is making something that is actually pretty basic seem like amazing and beautiful and like the relationship between humans and how we work together as people. Because like the triangle for all that it is, is really like, hey, the person who isn't the best should also pass the ball (laughs) in so many different ways, right? (laughs) And also he was running the triangle with Shaq and Kobe and Michael Jordan. So like, I don't even know necessarily how good or not good the triangle is like you always say this about like the Princeton offense like the Princeton offense was great for Princeton in like the 50s when only white people were allowed to play basketball so I think that ultimately he came out looking petty and also like kind of like an illusionist which I don't know is like what I want or what I love about Steve Kerr pop Brad Stevens Eric Spolstra Pat Riley. Like they are motivators of men, but also they do have that basketball mind. Right. And I just, maybe it was a nineties thing that you didn't need as much strategy because it was more ISO heavy and stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, he got results and he's got the rings and I still hate him for fucking up the Knicks later on in his life, but he got those rings. I do think that that's part of it though, because Phil Jackson also is the kind of guy who like only tries when he likes what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was like a weird thing because like, oh, yeah, the Knicks overpaid him. And then he's like, I don't really fucking care. I just want to go hang out with my girlfriend in L.A. He kind of like revealed who he was as a person. And I don't know if I loved that. Someone else who I think took an L was Ahmad Rashad. I don't yes. really understand that much about sports media. Like, I don't really understand why Brian Gumble and Ahmad Rashad were so great at their jobs for a while, but it seemed like he just, like, hung out with Michael Jordan and that made him a good sports announcer. Like, I don't really understand. So back in the 90s, basically, it was such a different media world. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as easy to get access. You couldn't just film people with your phone and stuff like that. Also, there was a lot of people being mad at the media when they would write harsh headlines or harsh reports or whatever. What would happen is that players would get good relationships and strong bonds with individual 
writers, reporters, etc. And then they would feel comfortable with them. So then they would be able to travel with them and get the inside scoops, etc. So I think Ahmad Rashad was just a good dude and got along with the players. So they didn't mind having him around. And then he would get the inside scoops. So I don't even know if he was necessarily the best journalist, but he was just a nice and personable person that the players enjoyed being around and I guess didn't screw people over because a big takeaway from the media is that they were really mean to Michael Jordan and really keen on making him look bad whenever it was possible. Even as we talked about on Spirits way back when in the pseudo horse pilot Mm. about the conspiracies of the gambling and his father's death and stuff, I think they really did put in perspective how gross all of that was and how much the media wanted to turn something that was tragic into a story just because they wanted to link two things of unrelated data together. I guess they really looked at that media stuff, and this is what I was talking about earlier, they really were looking at that media stuff with 2020 vision and hindsight. Because if you were running down the story, though, you'd be like, hey, Michael Jordan paid a bunch of money to a gambler. Hey, Michael Jordan's dad got killed when he was pulled over the side of the road, which seemed strange. Like, I can see them doing that research, and especially in a pre-internet where, like, you can't contact people immediately. It was gross in the way that, like, celebrity reporting as of now, which I really think they were trying to set up those two things. Like, Michael Jordan was an amazing celebrity, and he got the celebrity treatment as we see now, which is disgusting and terrible. I still can't believe that that book about the guy who was gambling with Michael Jordan got published. Like, that was disgusting. Yes. Not not great. Not, not fact-checked nice. at all. It's like, look at this guy who said he hung out with Michael Jordan. Like, I'm sure you did, but how is that a full book? That's the thing. That's how big Michael Jordan was, is that you could have an entire book. There were two anti-Jordan books. One was just, hey, the Pistons made an entire defense about screwing over Michael Jordan, and then also I was in the locker room and found out him being mean. This is a book. Michael Jordan's mean, guys. I'm going to write a whole book. Sam Smith came out (laughs) looking like shit. (laughs) Yes, he did, and that was probably intentional on Michael Jordan's part. Also, a guy who looked like he was 65 for like 50 years of his life. Yeah, not great. For Ahmad Rashad, the thing that was surprising for me is that dude just fell off the face of the earth. Where has he been in the past 20 years? Exactly. I don't know what happened to him. Also, it looked like I whatever angle they were shooting him at for the interviews wasn't really flattering. It was like <laughs> from the side. And then I don't know if he had some sort of like injury or something, but it looked like there was a scar on the side of his head. And mm. the camera was like really focused on that. And I don't know why they shot him from that angle, but it didn't feel like they were doing him any favors there. Yeah. Ahmad Rashad looks like someone who aged in a sports documentary. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like, oh, 20, 25 years has gone by and now like you have gray hair and you're like a little puffier because so much time has gone on. It's like he is like sucked up all the toxins for Michael Jordan. <laughs> he's the picture of Dorian Jordan. Dorian, he might as well be. And that's why he's disappeared. I just can't believe that Michael Jordan's only friends were like these security guys and Ahmad Rashad. Was that what it ultimately came down to is like we should feel sad for Michael Jordan that he had such a drive that he never got close to anyone except for people who he saw as father figures and who gave him like so much breath to like be who he is. I think the problem is that he was at such a level of fame and they did a good job of putting this into perspective in one of the last two episodes where he was as famous as people are today 
and there was no social media and still everybody in the world knew him just because he was that freaking good at basketball. So just trying to think about like that level of fame for his time, really when there wasn't any sort of precedent for that in Mm. basketball, maybe even sports, he was just like a larger than life figure. I just don't think he had many normal relationships and I don't think people were particularly nice to him or just treated him like a person. And I think that he just kind of gravitated towards people that treated him like a person and then also just people that he trusted. That's why his bodyguard was like his childhood best friend or whatever. Yeah, like his his incredible assistant, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's what it comes down to is just like media being part of it and whatever else is surrounding him. I think for Michael Jordan, it's just he feels like he can only trust a certain subset of people. And it seems like these security guards that were around him and kept him safe and protected him like that established a level of trust where he felt comfortable with them. Yeah, you can hold these two things at the same time. One, Michael Jordan is an asshole. And two, his level of fame was so restrictive he couldn't do anything. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I definitely think it's a two-way street. That reminds me of, have you heard like stories about Eddie Murphy now? Like he can't go anywhere. So all he does is like hang out in his house and like drive his cars like up and down his driveway. No, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, Look up that stuff. That's why he was gone for so long. It's like very similar to like the Dave Chappelle stuff. It's like he just kind of like disappeared so that he could get away from it. And just like he can't go anywhere because he's so famous. Dang. That's very weird. But yeah, I think uh, another person similarly that got a big, big win in this was security guard with the funky hair. Yeah, I love that, that guy. guy. Huge come up. And I listened to a podcast where the guest was the director of the documentary and he just couldn't speak any more highly of that guy as possible. He's just said that everybody loves him. He's the nicest dude. He's had that hair forever. Uh, and that everybody just really, really liked that guy. So I thought that was good. There's an athletic article, like as a profile of him, he passed away a little while ago, but like they Mm -hmm. talked to his family and everything he was saying, like he was just such an amazing guy. Everyone who works at the United Center apparently is an amazing person. Yeah, they all seemed really good. I think a huge come up for the staff. I really appreciated the Dennis Rodman having to run away situation. Oh, I love that. It was so good. And the media relation guy's like, all right, so all the media's outside that door. And we're going to send Dennis out of gate three and a half, which is like, what? <laughs> There's half gates? And I love that. we're not going to let him know. That dude needed a raise if he didn't, because he was really on top of shit there. It was impressive. I appreciate that because like all of the white people we saw through this whole documentary, like they all looked so fucking stupid because of 90s fashion. So like this guy, he like had his fucking polo like tucked into his khakis. And I was just like, you better do something really cool because you look like a big fucking nerd. Speaking of 90s fashion, something that this made me want, and I don't know if this looks good in general or if it just looks good because these basketball players are really tall and really muscular and Mm -hmm. anything looks good if you're tall and muscular, but Carl Malone and Scottie Pippen both rocked the t-shirt tucked into dress pants look (laughs) and it looked really good. I don't know, Mike. Mike, watch out. Don't do it. (laughs) I don't know if it works in general or if it just works when you're really tall and ripped, but there were a couple fits from Carl Malone and Scottie Pippen where I was like, that works so strangely well. (laughs) Another win, again, warm-up gear for all, pretty much all of the teams had amazing warm-up gear in the 90s. It was fun. I appreciated that not every team had the exact same format, which is kind of what the NBA does now. Yeah. Where everyone has the same 
structure and then it's just different colors and logos. I appreciated that in that 98 series in the Eastern Conference Finals that the Pacers warm-ups looked a lot different from the Bulls ones. And this might be a hot take. I don't think that those Bulls ones that they had for that last season are very cool. The white, black, red with the like fabric. I thought their earlier ones from the previous seasons that they showed were way cooler. Yeah, that was like a real starter Z. Like you could tell that like it wasn't comfy and it was just kind of puffy. Yeah, it was like the in-between of the first stuff from starters was really cool and shiny and reflective and that stuff wasn't cool enough but some of the warm-ups those pacers ones i thought were pretty sweet with like the funky pattern they had underneath their arms and stuff like that oh yeah another shout out to sonic's gear my biggest regret now is not buying it when we were in seattle just buying as much sonic stuff i could get my hands on as a proud owner of some sonic's gear it's very solid and seattle needs the sonic's back asap i need a not like like a warm up jacket. Like now we're finally getting into summer and I could wear like a windbreaker. Like I want the Suns warm up jacket as a jacket. I want the Jazz one. I want the Sonics one. Like anything I get my hands on, but I know they're all going to be like $200 from the NBA store or something stupid. Mhm. Mhm. They're very expensive, but the outfits were very, very solid. I'm trying to think of other things that I really liked. Horace Grant, I learned a bunch about, even though he was called a snitch. And <laughs> But now there's drama building on top of that, which I really appreciate. Horace Grant had two really big things for me that were nice. First, his goggle game. His goggle very game strong. so good. I like that he wore different goggles for his different teams. Yeah. And then also I got a better appreciation for how good he was at basketball. I think a lot of people don't realize that he was basically just better Dennis Rodman for those early 90s teams. And then the best Horace Grant moment was when they are talking about the 90s Pistons and the Pistons walking off the court and not shaking their hands after they beat them. This I posted on the Horace Instagram, but it's very particular in the way that it was shot because Horace Grant in the interview is wearing an NBA Cares polo. Yeah. And NBA Cares is when NBA players team up with different charities and do community service or stuff for children in need, et cetera. It's a great program. So every time they show him, you can very plainly see the NBA Cares logo on a shirt. But when he's talking about the Pistons, there's a time where he calls them, quote, straight up bitches. Uh, and the camera for that take is zoomed in just enough so the NBA Cares logo is cropped out of frame. <laughs> Which I think was my favorite part of the whole documentary. As a glassist individual, I've always loved Horace Grant. But now, again, he's like uh, how important Draymond is to the Warriors. Like, you needed someone. Because Scottie Pippen was a point forward. Michael Jordan was 6'6". You needed someone to get the rebounds, and uh, he was that important. And it d- demonstrates when he went to the when he went to the Magic. That's when they didn't win the championship. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that when they showed that and his departure, how it affected them. It was re- <laughs> it was really funny because they interviewed somebody else, and they're talking about why that team, the one time Jordan lost in the playoffs, which everybody writes off because he came back part of the way through the season after playing baseball. Someone else, I forget who it was, said they really needed a power forward that could score and rebound. And then they cut to Horace Grant, like smugly smiling (laughs) because he was literally that. And I did think that it was pretty perfect that they were like, yeah, they were missing this, you know, like a like a Horace Grant type player. (laughs) (laughs) If only they had had someone like Horace Grant on the team. If only they had a tall man that wore goggles and (laughs) wore the number 54 and was good at basketball and could rebound and score in the post. 
Uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. That magic team must have been something else, though. With Dude, like, they were scary. That magic team was terrifying. Shaq, Penny Hardaway, Horace Grant, Nick Anderson. Yeah. Holy bananas. And the fresh uniforms. What a starting five. 100%. Uh, let's see. Who else did I like? Uh, Larry Bird was amazing the entire time. I mm-hmm. even loved him at the end when he was the coach for the Indiana Pacers. And he just can't help but call Michael Jordan a motherfucker. And he's like bulbous ass potato face. I loved it so much. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And also, uh, fuck BJ Armstrong for thinking he's important. (laughs) Well, the BJ Armstrong thing, I do think he came around to it at the end because what he revealed is that he knew that they were going to get stomped regardless. So why not just talk your shit in the one game where you beat the Bulls? And I appreciate it. Like, he knowingly unearthed the Pandora's box that is being a true, actual slight to Michael Jordan, but he was like, look, and even said, we're the Charlotte Hornets. We were not going to win this series. So I appreciated that he was like, fuck it, man. I don't care. Sure, I summoned Exodia, but whatever. (laughs) First of all, thank you for framing this in Yu-Gi-Oh! So I understand what you're (laughs) talking about. (laughs) It was just him in the documentary that he's like, ah, if someone doesn't know what happened, I'm going to look really cool for five minutes. (laughs) It's like he made himself seem really important, but like everyone else was like, dog, you got destroyed so hard immediately after this and he threw all of his like pride onto that player who michael jordan made up that he got slighted oh, that was for. really funny he was like deflecting shit away from himself i'm like bj you started this like this is on you we're still looking at you and your interview i think that the bj armstrong thing is the better version of gary payton in this documentary because bj armstrong basically said i got the best of michael jordan once and I talked mad shit, but I knew it was going to lead to inevitable destruction, but it's fine. I also think B.J. Armstrong has benefited by the fact that he's Michael Jordan's teammate for a little bit, so he gets mm-hmm. more positive light. But Gary Payton, on the other hand, was like, yeah, I did this thing, and then we beat the Bulls in two games. Who knows? Maybe if the coach would have just listened to me earlier, we could have beat him in the series. And he looks really bad. So at least B.J. Armstrong recognized we're still talking about Michael Jordan in this situation, and he's going to murder us using basketballs. Right. Right. Gary Payton tried to frame it as like, who's to say? I mean, we could have beat him. Not a good look for Mr. Payton. Yeah, everybody who wasn't in the same room with Michael Jordan was like, mm, I actually was pretty good. I don't know if you knew about this. <laughs> well, yeah, Reggie Miller, too. He was like, we had the better team. It's like, your team didn't have Michael Jordan on it, Reggie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Reggie Miller actually was really good because now I only want to call Michael Jordan Black Jesus or that black cat. Right. (laughs) Which I just personally loved. I know that he's not good as an announcer, but like Reggie Miller talking about himself was pretty hot. Speaking of nicknames, going back to Gary Payton, it's something in a very early episode of Horace, we did the three on three for the best nicknames. And I put Gary Payton, the glove, as one of the best ones. Michael Jordan, in one sentence, turned the glove from a cool nickname into the shittiest nickname in the history of basketball. Because (laughs) Michael Jordan, after laughing at an iPad featuring Gary Payton (laughs) saying that he could have beat him if they would have done the thing earlier, just very quickly goes, I wasn't worried about the glove. (laughs) And then, boom, gone. 100 to zero. The glove is not a good nickname anymore. (laughs) The Michael Jordan 90s was the worst time for you to have an interesting nickname that could then get turned around on you immediately. I'm thinking about the glove, and I'm also thinking about the mailman for Carl Malone. Like, everyone called him mail fraud? The f- 
Well, dude, the fucking documentary not putting in the game one thing where Scottie Pippen whispers in Carl Malone's ear, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays, and then he misses the two free throws. Them not putting that in the documentary is one, a literal felony, and two <laughs> is clearly Michael Jordan being like, look, we can't make Scottie Pippen look too good in this documentary. You can't have him have the best trash talk of all time featured. That's the best trash talk ever. I bet they asked him about it and he was like, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> let's not do that. I also love Carl Malone not uh, interview. He refused to be in. He refused to be in. Good. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks. He does suck. Carl Malone is objectively a bad human being. So it's probably good that he's not in it. <laughs> That's what I got from the documentary. Carl Malone is a bad man. Well, they didn't get into all of his sexual allegations, but he is very much not a good person. And that's why when I play NBA Jam, I pretend that he's Carl Malone with a C, just a different person uh, <laughs> and is not actually Carl Malone. Sure, that makes sense. It's more of my love for John Stockton, who also came across very well in this documentary, just looking like peak dad. I, know. Uh, I appreciated Mr. Stockton a lot. And I like that they showed some John Stockton clips because I want a John Stockton documentary, the stockumentary, if you will. <laughs> Have you been setting up this whole podcast for you to get to that <laughs> pun eventually? I thought of it when I was watching. I was like, I would love a John Stockton documentary. Stockumentary. I would because he's the NBA career leader in assists and steals and never gets talked about. Yeah. in terms of greatest of all time conversations. No one is ever going to come close to those two records ever, 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 ever. Whereas the points ones always gets beaten, rebounds, whatever. No one's ever going to touch those records. I want to know more about John Stockton. Honestly, the players, and this is just me as like a, what I like from basketball, the players who are good at things that are not scoring are so interesting to me. And we got two of mm -hmm. them. We got John Stockton. We got Dennis Rodman. Like, Dennis Rodman routinely put up 20 rebounds a game, which is b fucking bananas. Wild. Wild. <laughs> like, it's not even blocks. It's just, like, rebounds. When Dennis Rodman was explaining how he watches the ball mm -hmm. and, like, mm -hmm. knows how the different shots go up, I'm like... You're a wild man, but, like, that's how you fucking watch tape. Like, there you go. The NBA and the people that filmed these clips from the games for The Last Dance were great because they made rebounding look cool they every yeah, time they showed did. a Dennis Rodman clip. And I am so glad that they had the foresight to film all of this stuff with an actual film camera so that the post-production team, shout out to the post-production team, yes. they made all of that footage look so beautifully crystal clear. And it makes me so mad that we basically just lost out on good footage of the early 2000s of basketball because we were transitioning to digital and didn't know what we were doing. Right. As much as this is like a, a very nice documentary, like the fact that it exists and, and this is the biggest win, I think, the fact that six million people were watching at the same time mm -hmm. for a thing that you and I love so much every single Sunday, like that was just nice. It was very it was nice, good. and I'm glad they moved it up. And they're moving up a bunch of 30 for 30 movies as well. So I'm really like... ESPN is leaning into the things they actually know how to do instead of this terrible uh, horse contest that they tried to do. <laughs> what I really hope is that they see this documentary and they just use it as a framework. I do not care and I do not think it is bad and I hope ESPN is not afraid to do this. But I don't think that they should shy away from looking at this documentary as a cookie cutter series approach and just being like, cool, now we're gonna do the early 2000s Lakers. Now we're mm. gonna do the late 2000s, early 2010s Spurs. Just 
look at every dynasty that you have a bunch of footage for, and maybe not every single one is 10 parts because it's not Michael Jordan, but just do this for every dynasty team that has ever existed, and I will be elated. Yeah. It's just such a good format, and I don't even care if they're, none of them are really investigative journalism, if it's all just praising the teams and talking about it. It was a joy to watch. It was truly just a fun experience. And I think you should just keep doing this for every good team that ever existed. I mean, this is what we talk about in podcasts. Like sometimes you need to do editing. It's like, don't just throw up the old games. Like you need to do mm -hmm. some stuff and like deliver it to us in a different package. And I think that that's really what we got from this. We got like the important nuggets of we're on the flu game for like five minutes. Like, I don't want to watch the whole flu game. I just want to see the highlights. I just want to see the vomit. I just want to see the pizza. <laughs> I just want to see Scottie Pippen hurt his back. That's all I want to see. <laughs> if ESPN doesn't keep doing this from first OJ and now this and all of the success they have with 30 for 30, like everyone wants to watch someone do the post-production work and tell sports stories. Like, that's what we want. Uh, so that was a very fun The Last Dance retrospective it was good you can watch it on ESPN go do it they're not paying us but it's fun soundtrack also fire good soundtrack ooh great soundtrack there are a lot of songs I want to put together also uh, respect to the Bulls introductory music oh which we've talked about at length but yes quality quality stuff <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse Horses, hosted by Eric Silver and Mike Schubert. It is edited and mixed by Eric Silver. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The music is by Bettina Kavamanes. And the website is by Kelly Schubert. Special thanks to our producer-level patrons, Brianne Wingate, Adam Hartrick, Cody Towell, Salvador Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burge. I work with Eric's dad. Shooby dooby doo. I am Adam Silver. Godzilla got busy. Wouter Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, Self Slam Chop, Steph Curry for three. Siobhan Ellsbury, Kendra Hadley, He Sells Seashells, Eileen Gazesh, Catherine Lee, and Og Milk. You can find us on the internet at Horse Hoops on Instagram and Facebook and Horse underscore Hoops on Twitter because, as we say every episode, it's because Horse Hoops made fun of Michael Jordan and said that he could maybe beat him at basketball once, so Michael Jordan had them eliminated. <laughs> he torched them for 40 points and then they got banned. Bang. Our website is horsehoops.com, which has all of our research and the visual stuff you didn't see because this is a podcast. And if you want some sweet bonus content, you can go over to patreon.com slash horsehoops. One of those things is the jerseys, which, according to the emails that I received yesterday, are being shipped and are en route to the studio. We're actually sending out the Considerations Construtens jerseys. It's a horse on the front, on the back. It says Construtens, and the number is dollar sign, dollar sign. They are a reversible <laughs> penny. I'm very excited to have them actually in the real world they've been a long time coming and we're finally going to be sending them out to our jersey tier and above patrons there's a whole bunch of goodies but i'm very excited about the jerseys in particular and special thanks to multitude the podcast collective and studio where we make podcasts about the things we love and for the people who love them too hey we have a merch store at multitude.production slash merch and we have shirts they say sup nerds it's basketball on them uh my mom has one so if you want to be cool like my mom you should get a t-shirt even during quarantine, there is like limited shipping out, so you can still buy the shirts, but we do have a lot of Multitude merch that is electronic. There's music from Join the Party, there's music from Next Stop, there are wallpapers for all of the other shows. Uh, you should definitely go check it out at multitude.productions slash merch. And as we round out every episode, we're going to put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. I think it's only fitting to pay homage to the introduction announcer guy for the Bulls to say uh, your world champion Chicago Bulls in our grittiest, grisliest voice on the count of three. Nice. So one, one two, two, three. 
your world champion, Chicago I love that they got him to come to the championship parades, too. I think that's really good. I hope he goes to all the media availability things, like when they're doing a promotion at Kroger. It's like, your world champion. I think an underrated part, which I think was the most 90s part of the entire documentary, was when the Let's Get Ready to Rumble guy showed up. Oh, at the jazz game? Yep. Amazing. Very good. Very good. I did have the thought, Batman is just paid to say one sentence because he says it cool. And that's a great way to make your money. I mean, Mike, we do get paid to to just talk on a podcast. But he gets paid to say one sentence and then leave. That's true. That's huge. An underrated thing is that Michael Jordan heard that. He was like, nobody tells me to rumble unless on my time. And then he scored 50 points. This is for you, rumble guy. (laughs) So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.